for our text this morning, John chapter number 16. And again, let me say thank you so much <coughs> for your uh, presence and your faithfulness in these days. A lot of empty seats this morning, a lot of sickness in our church family. And so I hope that you're praying for them and praying for me and uh, others uh, in our church. If you'd keep us in, our, in your prayers, it would be greatly appreciated. Just that time of year, a lot of, a lot of uh, sickness going around. And, um, and so let's be uh, mindful of that in these days. I want to look in the Gospel of John in chapter number 16. And it's a really long message that I have today. So I'm probably going to skip over a little bit of the early part of it so I can get the latter part of it in. Back in uh, December, the Lord began to deal with my heart about why Jesus came or why did he come? And uh, with a question mark, why did he come? And uh, we have all of the things that we celebrate and see in the Christmas season. And so that question led to a series of messages in the month of January. And we looked in Isaiah chapter number 61, verses 1 through 3, and we garnered from that text uh, the reasons that Jesus came into the world. And we looked at about five of them through the course of the month. We didn't look at them in detail or at length, but we looked at those things. And then in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this is all said and done. But uh, the reality of it is when you ask one question and get an answer from God, oftentimes it leads to a second question. And there's so many whys that we have in the scripture. I don't, I, don't I don't understand everything about God, and I'm thankful for that. I'd be considering myself a God if I did. And uh, so there's so many questions that I have for him, even after over 50 years of studying his word and preaching over 8,000 messages in those 48 years, I still have so many questions. I think I still have more questions than I have answers after all of these decades. And so when I was pretty well satisfied with the answer to the first question, why did he come? And we looked at that the blind might receive their sight, that the prisoners might be loosened, and, um, and so on and so forth. And, um, and so when I got kind of satisfied with that, uh, I began to think about, well, uh, I... I I, I passed up some normal things, uh, like one of them being, well, why, you know, why he came, but then why did he die? I think that's something that we cover in our Baptist churches very often. But then I begin to think about some things that are kind of more, maybe a little bit more remote from, from our thinking when it, when it comes to what our Savior has done and what he did do and what he's doing right now. And so I asked myself the question, why did he go away? Why did he go away? Now that'll be our thought for this morning. Why did he go away? Why did Jesus go away? And it's found in verse number seven of our chapter. I'm not going to take time to read a lot of verses. I have a lot of verses uh, that we have ready for uh, the slides this morning. But I just want you to think about verse number seven. Nevertheless, now let me back this up just a little bit. I've got to go back just a moment. In chapter number 14, at the end of chapter number 13, our Lord began to inform his disciples that one day he wouldn't be with them anymore. 
And he tells them, and he tells them in the beginning of this chapter, also in chapter number 15, before this, he said, I'm going away. And they were very much disturbed by that. He said, I'm not going to always be with you. I'm with you now, and we've been together through these years of time, but one day you'll not see me anymore. And at that statement, his disciples were extremely disturbed. What do you mean, Lord? What do you mean that we're not going to, we've walked with you and we've ministered with you and, and we've, we've, uh, we've been loved by you. And now you tell us that you're not going to, that's, that's a very disturbing thought. It would be that way in a family situation. It would be that way in a church situation. Be that way in life. But what a, a, a greater level it is when the Lord, that they had experienced so many so many blessings from him and, and so many miracles from him. And they learned to depend on him finally. And they knew as Brother Greg was talking about that he was going to stand by them. And he was there with them through the thick and the thin. The dark times and the good times. And all of those times. And now he's saying to, to his disciples, in just a little while you're not going to see me anymore. And that brings along the thought that's in chapter number 14 in verse number 1. And, uh, and, he, and he begins there, he said, here's what he said to them, let not your heart be troubled. They were very troubled at that. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And we'll look at those verses in just a few moments so I'll not get ahead of myself. But just to give a little springboard information, that's what's going on in chapter number 16. He's continuing this thought that I'm not going to be with you down here forever. Forever. In verse number 7 of our chapter, he said these words, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. He'd said already in verse number five, but now I go my way to him that sent me. He's on his way back to the Father. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. And look at these words. It is expedient for you. Can you believe that? Here's what he's telling them. Now, we've already given you a little bit of background. And he said, I'm not going away for my benefit. Uh, I, I've already, I've, I've already uh, walked my course. I've already set my ministry. And soon he'll go to the cross and die. Go to the grave and get up again the third day. And then we'll read the account in the book of Acts in, in uh, verse number 11 when, the, when they talk about this same Jesus that you have seen go away in the clouds will come again in like manner. He can't come again if he didn't go away. And so it's all part of God's plan. It's all part of the scripture. There's an entire story. It's not just, and I can't say that without almost sounding sacrilegious, it's not just a story about a man dying on the cross of Calvary, but it is life and his ministry and where he came from and where he came to and where he is today. It's all about him. And we can't forget that as God's children. I think that sometimes our, our lives are so shallow and our ministries are so shallow and our preaching is so shallow because we've just kind of assembled a few little notes and a few little thoughts and we have a few little sermons that we share from time to time and we never really get down to where the heartbeat of God is for his children. And so he said, my, 
reason that I'm going away is not for the world. And he said, it's not for me. But he said, I'm going away for you. I've never noticed that before. I was astonished when I read those words. And they just, I, they, I, I couldn't escape. It wasn't like it was anything that was haunting. But he said, it's expedient that I go, that for you, that I go away. And so there, the, the uh, preaching gear started meshing together and things started turning. And I started thinking about, well, I got to look further into this. This, this uh, requires some investigation. Why did he go away from me? He came for me. He died for me. He was buried for me. He rose again for me. Someday he's coming back for me. And he said, I went away for you just as well. Every thought of the heart of God is for his children. And when I begin to study these texts and, and God begin to expand on these things, I, I begin to want to know more and more. I'm glad that I, I have a Savior that he... Again, he died on a tree, but I'm glad it didn't end there. Even though he said it is finished, it didn't end there. And there's still those things that he's doing for you just as the clock is ticking every single day that passes by. And I don't have time to look at them all in 20 minutes this morning. But I want to just think about a few things with you this morning in this thought of why did he go away? Now, he said in this, he used the word uh, that's used about seven times in our King James Bible, the word expedient. I had to look that up. Wasn't 100% sure. I thought I knew, and I did. I was correct in my thinking. Had some notes in some other Bibles about it. But it's not a word that we use uh, uh, in, in really in any of its forms, expediting things and, and so, uh, so on and so forth. But when you begin to look at it in the light of the scripture, it takes on a whole new light and a whole new meaning. Everything about that word is for you and for me. Now, the first thing that I, I took note of, it, number one, that, that, that it means it's expedient that I go away, that prophecy might be fulfilled. It had to be done. It was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would come and that he would die. And then one day he would come again, implying that he had to leave in order to come again. But then the next four things that I found just began to uh, help me so much. Number one, this word and in, in the context of what he's saying here, and you'll see it as we go along, the meaning of this word is necessary. Number one, is necessary for prophecy that I go away, but it's necessary for your good that I go away. That's what he's saying to his disciples. It is necessary for our advantage that he might go away. There's a work that he did while he was here. And there's a work that he's doing while he's gone. And it is an eternal work. Number four, it is necessary that he go away for our profit. And then finally, it is necessary that he, go, that he goes away for his heavenly Father's plan. And all of it is about you and about me. And, and our... Uh, the advancement of our Christian lives and the building of his own kingdom 
and, uh, and the help and the hope that he offers even now that he's gone away. And so there's other questions that, uh, that come and, and one leads to another to mention, why did he come? Why did he die? Uh, why uh, did he go away and why is he coming back again? I want to look at five things very briefly this morning. That'll give me about three minutes on each one of them. And uh, five things very quickly that I have uh, come across in the scripture answering this question. Why did he go away? And the first one's found within our own text. Now, the first two are very common to you and very common to me, but I want to get to the last three as quickly as I can because it's not something that we spend a lot of time thinking about. The first two are these two things. Uh, he came, number one, that the Holy Spirit could come. Now, you understand that in Old Testament times that the Holy Spirit uh, descended upon men that excuse me that they might do that they might do special things for God. They didn't walk around like you and I do with a filling of the Holy Spirit on their on their lives. The Holy Spirit would come like to Samson or Joshua or whoever it was and the, uh, their purpose was accomplished and then, uh, then they didn't just walk around in the presence. They didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the filling of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the in, in endowing of the Holy Spirit. And so it was necessary for Jesus to go away that we could have the Holy Ghost with us all the time. There's not a moment that we walk in this life, ever how long that we live, if you've been born again, when the Holy Ghost moved inside of you, and that's the only reason you're saved, not because you're a Baptist, and not because you've been baptized in water, but you've been baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Ghost of God. And if you haven't been, then you're not. And, uh, but then we, and so we see that he might come in our text. And then the second one, and, and we're so familiar with that about the Holy Spirit. We sang up, and I was so glad to hear that song. It just kind of inspired me this morning. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. I love it. We, we used to love watching the A-Team. I have it on TV anymore. Uh, but, but I liked it. Uh, when he would say, I love to see a plan come together. <laughs> you know, love to see a plan. Oh, Hannibal. Love to see a plan come together. And, uh, but then there's songs that we sing about it and we preach about it. And, and uh, there's a sweet, sweet spirit. Sweet Holy Spirit. And, uh, and then the second one is found in chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, uh, to pre prepare a mansion for us. And we sing about that. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. And so we, we're familiar with the first two. But let me say this about these two, and then we'll look at the three that we're not so familiar with. Now the first one being the Holy Spirit would come. If you took time to read down through these verses, you would see in verses number 8 through 11 that he came to reprove the world. Notice what he said in there in verse number 8. He said when he, when he sends the, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, he said, number one, when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And so here's, here's the thought behind it. He came 
The Holy, Jesus went away so the Holy Spirit would come and the first work, the first ministry, the ministry that Jesus had been handed by God and that he handed off to the Holy Ghost of God a little bit later, uh, that same ministry is the ministry of convicting this world of sin. We've lost that in our Baptist churches. We're not, we're not in the business anymore of making people uncomfortable. We're in the business of making them feel quite comfortable. I'm telling you, when the Holy Ghost of God comes, if you've got sin in your life, you won't be comfortable. And so when the Holy Ghost comes, he, number one, he, he reproves the world. That means to convince, to convict. Number two, uh, he guides God's people. I've already mentioned about him filling us and baptizing us and empowering us. In uh, verse number 13, notice what he said. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, here he is, he's come. Jesus said, I gotta go. It's expedient that I go away and for your good that the Holy Ghost might come to you. Somebody that can walk with you and talk with you and be with you every step of every day through the thick and the thin. The Holy Ghost will be with you all the time. I'm so thankful for that. To reprove the world of sin, the second thing is to guide God's people. That's what he said in verse number 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. And there's so much preaching here. So much preaching here. And now if I do three more, I got about two minutes for each one of them. But let's look at this for just a moment. And so here, Jesus has gone away and in his departure, he has sent the Holy Ghost of God. He talked about it in the previous chapter again and again and again. But very simply to say to you in passing, to guide you. There's somebody, we don't have the, the privilege that, that the, the disciples that were called by him those, those men that walked with him, they touched his flesh and he touched their flesh. He spoke into their ears. They looked into his eyes. Well, we don't have that privilege this morning. But he doesn't leave us without hope. And he doesn't leave us without somebody to be with us. Or he knows of ourselves we will quickly go astray. And so now he has given the Holy Spirit to guide us in the truth. And uh, by the way, that is part of the ministry of the Holy Ghost of God to make sure that you walk in truth as his children. So many lies, so much deception that's going on in the world today. And then the third thing is to glorify God's Son. He said it in, back in chapter number 15, and we don't have these notes for the screen, but he even said it back then. He said, I will send uh, unto you from the Father even the Spirit of truth uh, which proceedeth from the Father. This is uh, verse number 26. And he shall testify of me. You know what somebody does that's filled with the Holy Ghost of God? Let me make it plain and let me make it simple. And we don't even have to put it in boxcar letters. When somebody is filled, said, I've heard about people being filled with the Holy Ghost of God. This is what happens to a person when they're filled with the Holy Ghost of God. They talk about Jesus. You said, well, 
I'm not sure about that. Well, you better get a hold of some truth. Or you'll go astray. You'll be, you'll be carried away with every wind of doctrine. If you don't understand God's plan, God's part, what God does, and forget about what the world said, the Baptist said about it, and everybody else had to say about it, and just see what this book has to say about it. So he said, he said when he comes, what will he do? Well, he said when he gets here, he's going to talk about Jesus. Somebody that's filled with the Holy Ghost, they sing about Jesus. When they talk, they talk about Jesus. When they preach, they preach about Jesus. That's not to say it's the only conversation you'll have. But more often than not, he will be led into the conversation. When he comes, he'll talk about me. And then, uh, in, uh, but notice what he said. Now, in uh, verse number 14, he said, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. And so when the Holy Ghost, Jesus went away, the Holy Ghost could come, reprove the world, guide God's people, and glorify God's Son. Here's the second one. Look with me briefly, and uh, we'll get the other three a little bit later. But uh, look with me in uh, chapter number 14 momentarily. And so another thing that he did, he said uh, in verse number three, he said, and if I go away, he said in the, in the earlier verses, in verse number uh, two, chapter number 14, in my father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, if I go, and he did go, he said, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And then he talks about this wonderful mansion that he's prepared for each one of us without getting into a lot of detail about that, I would just like to very simply say there's four things that are stated in this passage of Scripture. The first thing is uh, where the mansion is located. Where these mansions are located. And uh, that's made very clear to us. He said, they're in my Father's house. There's where, they're where, that's where my Heavenly Father is. And he said, not only that they're located in a particular place, and when you go to the book of Revelation and begin to read, you'll find out how amazing that place is and how attractive that place is. But here's the key to it all, how available that place is. You may never have a hope of a mansion in this world, and most of us in, in relationship to the world around us, we live in mansions. There are people this morning that woke up in a mud hut. There are people that woke up in an igloo. There's people who woke up, woke up this morning in a straw hut. There are people all around us in, in, in uh, Central America and South America and even here in America, there are people who woke up this morning on a sidewalk covered up by cardboard boxes. For wherever you live today, whatever your address is, that would, your home would be a mansion to those people. A mansion. I remember I was in Mexico back in the 70s, about, uh, 1978, all the way up in the um, uh, central region of Duranga, up in the mountains. It was, it was only like a 15 miles up the mountain, but it took the better part of a, uh, a half, a, a, the, at least a half a day to get up there, the winding roads and, and, um, and up on top of that village, uh, up on top of that mountain, there's a little village, very 
small village and, and just kind of a, an open area, a, a few little uh, uh, cardboard, tar paper, pieces of tin, uh, houses around. Somewhere the structures were a little bit better. The downtown area, there was an outhouse in the middle of the outhouse. There were animals running here and there and everywhere, hogs and chickens and goats and all those kind of things, and just a very small community. And in that, inside that little community, there was a lady, and I've told this story before, and uh, she was raising, I think she had nine or 11 children. Her husband had died, and she was blind, and uh, she, had, she was raising her, her family in an area not, not nearly as big as the foyer that you came in this morning through the back doors. Had just a dirt floor, and part of the walls were just pieces of tin, and there was a, there was a straw and, and thatch and all those kind of things. They'd made kind, kind of like a brush arbor top, and it was covered with brush, and that was their home. To her, any place would have been a mansion. And so it's kind of hard for us to really think about. If, if they're living in a place that is so much different than what we're living, how much, what are, we, what, are, what are we looking forward to when we exit this world? He tells us not only where they're located, but he tells us who's preparing them. He said, I'm going to prepare them. Here, a carpenter's son. I'm, I'm a, car, a carpenter's son. My dad was a contractor by trade. And uh, I can do a pretty good bit of carpenter work. But here is the carpenter. I'm, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about the one who built the world that you and I live in. Built it with his own hands. He's the one who took the stars and stuck them up in their silver socket. He's the one who went out and planted the meadows and he's the one out, went out and scooped up the valleys and made the mountain range. He's the one who, who created the waters and the seas and the rivers and, and the water cycle and all the things that you and I enjoy. Can you imagine what he could do building a house? Can you imagine? I'll close with this this morning. He went away to prepare our mansion. I believe the old boy was sincere. I never met him. I heard his song. I probably sang it a few times. It was something like, Just build me a cabin in the corner of glory land beneath the shade of the tree of life that it might ever stand. He, just, he probably just had a good humble, but listen, ain't going to be no cabins in glory land. Ain't going to be any cabins up there. They're mansions mansions and the wonderful thing is they're available they're available if he built all that you see out here heaven and earth in six days can you imagine the construction that has been done in two thousand years They've been working on an overpass down here for two years already and probably got two years to go. Can you imagine what he's done in 2,000 years? 
And the greatest thing in it all is this available. You can have one free of charge. You can have a mansion. The other three that I'm going to name them, we'll look at them at a different time, but these three are the ones that, that really are something that we need to grab a hold of. We don't have time to do it this morning. One is, and it's found in 1 John, and I would just give you the titles. Number one, that we can have, no, it's number three actually, that we can have an advocate with the Father. We've got somebody that's there with the Heavenly Father standing for us. Standing, standing by the Father. We have an advocate. We have one, some, some call it a lawyer, but it's a whole lot more than that. Lawyers have to use all kind of trickery and tomfoolery and all those kind of things. And, you know, they, they, know, how to, they know how to persuade the courts and all those kind of things. This, this, this one that stands for you and stands for me, he, he, did, he, al he already knows the heavenly terminologies. He already knows... He knows the human language, whether you speak in English, Spanish, French, whatever it is. And he is the one that is, that is standing there with us. And in that, he, it also mentions, and we'll get into it a little bit later. But number one, that we have, a, we have somebody pleading our case. We have an advocate with the Father. The second one is this, and it's found in the book of Hebrews in chapter number seven. We have an intercessor with the Father. We have somebody that intercedes on our behalf. He is our high priest, and, and we'll leave it at that this morning, but there's so much more to it than that. And then finally, these three things. Since Jesus left, he has left us, he has, he has given us uh, an advocate. He's given us um, um, a mediator, and he's given us an intercessor. And we don't have a clue how badly we need those three things. The, the conviction is a given thing. The mansion is a given thing. But how much do we know about he being our advocate with the Father? Uh, how much do we know about his being a mediator? And the Bible said there's just one mediator between God and man. It's not the pastor. You have the same access to God that I have. It's not the counselor. It's not the youth pastor. There is one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. There's a, <coughs> if I get too loud, I won't last two more minutes. But there's just one. It's not the Pope. It's not the Bishop. It's not your grandmother. They don't have any more access to the Heavenly Father than you do. Because of Jesus Christ. He is the mediator. He is the one that can take God by the hand and take you by the hand. It's the same only one that can do that mediation. Nobody else can do it. But there's a whole lot goes along with that. We have an intercessor and we have a mediator with the Father.
the mediator that we have is not some kind of a, a negotiator. When he does mediation for us, he does it by the book. Uh, he, he's, not, he's not like a, and I don't have anything against attorneys. I've been talking with some this week on this tax assessment thing around here. And, um, and I'm, I'm thankful for attorneys and all those kind of things. But he's one that, this mediator that we have, uh, he's, not, he's not one that's just kind of manipulating things, kind of, you know, he, he, like, like peace negotiators that we have this day and hour. They go to one party and they talk about it for a little while and they go back, they do it in Congress, and then they come over here and they iron out a few things and they work on a few things and they, you know, they... they uh, He's not there getting your ideas and then going over here and getting God's idea. It's just all from God's side. And we'll see that in the scripture. This mediator works straight by the law. And, there, and there's, when, when the mediation on this is not negotiation. We either come to God's terms or not. So Jesus went away that the Holy Spirit might come. Aren't you glad you can feel His presence? I felt Him in here this morning. I'm so glad he's, He went away to build me a mansion. But I'm glad that He took up these offices and more. Our advocate, our intercessor, and our mediator. He said, it's expedient for you that I go away. Would you stand with us for prayer this morning? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your precious word.